This is the way that Jesus taught his followers to pray. He told them, pray then like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Matthew 6, 9, 13, amen. gets me every time. Every time it's like, oh, I needed to hear little ones uh, bringing God's word to us. Um, good morning. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Uh, whether you are part of our community, our Redeemer community, or whether you're just checking out what's going on, whether you're live streaming with us right now on Sunday, <laughs> right now is whatever time you're watching this, right? Or you're catching it at another time. We're so grateful for the opportunity to spend this time in worship. Uh, with you. Um, so I uh, am very freaked out about talking about this with you um, for a couple of reasons. One is, uh, I think, a right fear of doing damage uh, around the idea of forgiveness and inflicting pain because I'm cap- very capable of inflicting pain. And the other is because um, the thing that we're going to talk about this morning, which isn't even a thing, forgiveness, it's something that happens between people, is only real if God is real. Really, you could say anything's only real if God is real. Um, But when we come to this this morning, you, you, you may be, I mean, everybody's, it's participating in this is recognizing that this is a Christian worship service, (laughs) and so it's kind of built on the assumption that God exists and is real, Um, but it it stands to be said, again, um, before we dive into something as big and profound and heavy as forgiveness, is that God is either real or God is not real. If If forgiveness is only real if God is real, And if God is real, then forgiveness is our only option. And um, I want to talk to you about this book before we dive in. This is my favoritest book that ever happened to me. It's called Everything Sad is Untrue, written by Daniel Nyeri. And it's the story um, of a family uh, growing up and living in Iran who were basically royalty in Iran, um, who were wealthy. Uh, Daniel's father was a dentist, his mother was a a physician. They were wealthy, they were respected, they were happy, they were whole as a family, until his mom, whose name is Sima, uh, came to believe in Jesus. And what happened to their family after his mom came to believe in Jesus was that um, they were threatened with murder She and her two children, who were eight and six at the time, fled from Iran, ended up in Dubai for a time, ended up in a refugee camp in Italy, and then eventually ended up in Oklahoma, where none of the things they had before, they didn't have a father anymore, he stayed behind, she didn't have her profession anymore, they had no wealth, there was no royalty, there was poverty and pain. You're welcome for this ministry of encouragement (laughs) on a Sunday morning. But I want to read this section to you as we, as we jump in, because it really matters for us whether Jesus is real or not. And this is, this is what Daniel writes about his mom, 
he's talking about how she fell in love with Jesus and everything changed. He said, when I tell this story in America, this is the part where the grown-ups always interrupt me. And they say, okay, but why did she convert? Because up to that point, I told them about the house with the birds in the walls, all the villages that my grandfather owned, all the gold, my mom's own medical practice, all the amazing things she had that we don't have anymore because she became a Christian. All the money she gave up, so we're poor now. But I don't have an answer for them. How can you explain why you believe anything? So I just say what my mom says when people ask her. She looks them in the eye with the begging hope that they'll hear her, and she says, because it's true. Why else would she believe it? It's true, and it's more valuable than $7 million in gold coins and thousand acres, thousands of acres of Persian countryside and 10 years of education to get a medical degree and all your family and a home and the best cream puffs in Jolfa and even maybe your life. My mom wouldn't have made the trade otherwise. If you believe it's true that there is a God and he wants you to believe in him and he sent his son to die for you, then it has to take over your life. It has to be worth more than everything else because heaven's waiting on the other side. That, or Sema, is insane. There's no middle. You can't say it's a quirky thing she thinks sometimes because she went all the way with it. If it's not true, she made a giant mistake. But she doesn't think so. She had all the wealth, the love of all those people she helped in her clinic. They treated her like a queen. She was royalty, and she's poor now. People spit on her on buses. She's a refugee in places people hate refugees, with a husband who hits harder than a second-degree black belt because he's a third-degree black belt. And she'll tell you, it's worth it. Jesus is better. It's true. We can keep talking about it, keep grinding our, our teeth on why Sema converted, since it turned the fate of everybody in the story. It's why we're hiding in Oklahoma. We can wonder and question and disagree. You can be certain she's dead wrong, but you can't make Sema agree with you. It's true. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. This whole story hinges on it. Do yourself a favor and read this book, but you can't check it out from the library because it's overdue by like three months. So... <clears throat> You're going to have to buy it from your local bookseller. God is either real or God is not real. And forgiveness is only real if God is real. But if God is real, forgiveness is the only option we have. I want you to imagine that you're five years old and you're stuck in a tree. Some of you don't have to imagine that you're five years old, but I think currently all of you have to imagine that you're stuck in a tree. Your eyes are clenched shut. Your arms are clenched tight around the branch, and you hear the voice of your father below you saying, let go, I've got you, I'm not going to let you fall. You can either let go into the embrace of your father, or you can stay in the tree. Staying in the tree is actually a pretty effective survival tactic, but it won't last forever. And now that you've imagined that you are this five-year-old child clinging into a tree, hearing the voice of your father calling you to let go, I want to tell you that forgiveness is letting go of the tree into God's embrace. 
And forgiveness is like a zipper, <laughs> of course. It runs on two tracks. And as you know, if you've ever had a malfunctioning zipper, if the one track ain't running, then the zipper ain't going anywhere. Forgiveness, as Jesus says in this prayer, this is the Lord's prayer, this is the way that he taught us to pray, it's the, it's the, the form that he tells us to pray in every day. We pray like this. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The first thing we have to do is to ask God and experience God's forgiveness of our debts. The word forgive, both in English and in Greek, which is the original language, means to let something go, to send something forth, to give something away. Like you think in English, it's like forgive, give forth of something, to let something go, to release. Jesus says here, when you pray, pray, Father, forgive us our debts. What he's saying is that we're asking God to release us from what we owe. That, that you owe a debt just by showing up as a human being. We cause pain. Our words cause pain. Our glances cause pain. Our financial choices cause pain. Our showing up causes pain. Our not showing up causes pain. To move through this world with other people is to do harm. It's just, a, it's just the way things work on planet Earth. And what is owed for that pain is wrath. Wrath is, it sounds like a very religious word, but really all it means is it's the relational payment for hurting somebody. When you hurt somebody, they owe you wrath in return. Vengeance. What you did was wrong, it caused pain, and you have to pay for it. We do it every day. And if you've ever been a parent or had a parent, if you've ever had a sibling or been a sibling, if you've ever had a friend or been a friend, if you've ever had a lover or been a lover, then you owe people. Welcome to planet Earth. What happens when we owe people is that we are tempted to diminish what we owe. I'm not, it's, it's, it's funny talking about all this stuff, it feels super heavy, but it's the experience of every person in this room and everyone watching online, everyone who's ever lived. When we hurt people, we tend to diminish it, to justify it, to make excuses. I heard a story the other day about a guy who wrote a book about Meryl Streep, and he became obsessed with reading the Amazon reviews on his book, right? It was pretty well-reviewed, but some people said, boring. You know, somebody, their review was just, no. It said, no, 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 no. And he, it bothered him. It kept him awake at night. And so what he started doing was clicking on the name of the person that did the Amazon review and finding the things that they actually reviewed positively and then judging them for it. Like, oh, they gave a five-star review to a lavender cupcake stand and said it was perfect. Of course they're not going to like my book, right? But the, the person interviewing him said, well, did you start clicking on the, the names of the people that gave you a five-star review? and to see what other stuff they gave five-star reviews to. And he said, no, 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 no. The people that gave me five-star reviews are perfect angels. <laughs> they have great taste. And then the person started reading them some of the reviews, and some of the, someone giving a five-star review to a $5 Amazon gift card also gave him a five-star review on his book. What Jesus is doing when he says, pray this way, forgive us our debts, is he's inviting you to not diminish the debt. 
but to acknowledge it for real and to acknowledge how big it is. Uh, many women have, have made the space recently for other women to share how deeply wounded they've been by men, especially men in positions of power. And this is an act of courage. This is an act of truth-telling. It's not an act of wrath. It's an act of reality. But what's been kind of amazing to watch is for the men um, who are being exposed, they generally can't bring themselves to acknowledge how deep the pain is. They say it wasn't a big deal, it was a joke. They make excuses. They diminish the pain. And what we're beginning to experience in, in our culture is, no, you have to acknowledge the reality of what has happened and what you've done. And what God is doing us, to us is calling us into reality to acknowledge what we owe. Uh, there's a pastor named Tim Keller, and he talks about forgiveness like a lamp. Imagine I come into your house, and I break your lamp. Some of y'all got nice lamps. I'm not trying to break Brandy, Brandy Vandergriff's lamp, okay, because she's got taste. Um, <clears throat> so let's say I come into your house, and I break your lamp. Intentionally or not, the lamp is broken. You have two choices before you. You can insist that I pay for the lamp. And if I do pay for the lamp, then we're good. If I don't pay for the lamp, then the wrath of a broken relationship will come upon both of us. Or you can forgive me. You can say, you know what? I'm not going to insist that you pay for that lamp. But guess what? The lamp is still broken. Somebody still has to pay for the lamp. And when you forgive me, what, basically what you're saying is that you don't have to pay for the lamp, I will pay for the lamp. Forgiveness means choosing for, to not make someone pay what they owe and paying it yourself. And when we go to God, this is how God functions. Um, I guess if you don't hear anything else, um, hear this. God wants to forgive you. God's will is to forgive you. He wants to relieve you, release you from the debt of wrath. Um, the central act of God becoming a human, actually, you think if God became a person, what would he do? This, his central act was to be betrayed and put on a cross, to be tortured and murdered, to lay cold in a tomb. Because what he is about, what he desires to do, the thing that motivates him when it comes to you and me is forgiveness, to release. An infinite, eternal, unchangeable being took on an unpayable debt to release us from wrath that we all know that we owe. Because here's the thing, it is an unpayable debt. No one can pay for that lamp when it comes to human relationships. It was one of a kind. When it comes to the hurt that we cause one another, these are things that can never be paid back, can never be made whole again. No amount of vengeance can make it right. And as we learned, we just watched Avengers Endgame the other day with our family. Even in the superhero world, you can't go back into the past and change the present. <laughs> There's no going back. 
when we recognize that you can't put it back together, the harm we do to each other, hell actually starts to make a lot of sense. God is the only one big enough to hold you if you let go of that tree branch. He's the only one who is able to release us from a wrath to pay a debt that's unpayable, and he wants to do it. It's what he wants. No one has to convince him that you are worthy or not. You don't have to be sorry enough. You don't have to make amends enough. He wants to do it. So when we pray, we pray, forgive us our debts. Pay what is unpayable to release us from wrath. But he says, as we also have forgiven our debts. And this is where it starts to get really scary and I start to get freaked out about talking about this. When it comes to other people, forgiveness is allowing yourself first to feel how deeply hurt you have been. The terms forgive and forget should never go together. To forgive is to remember, not forget. To say forgive and forget is to deny the pain that has happened, the pain that has been caused, the pain that you are experiencing. When Elsa, who I love, and my record is clear on loving Elsa, when she's saying let it go, she said, I'm never going back. The past is in the past. But the past wasn't in the past because when she let it go and left the past in the past, she also set off a perpetual winter that continued to hurt people over and over and over. Because what denial does is it renders forgiveness impossible. Saying it wasn't, it wasn't that bad, it's in the past, renders forgiveness impossible. We diminish with our words, but the pain is still there. So we have to cope, we have to avoid, we have to lash out. Wrath is still present. Forgiveness is only possible when we begin to process, and it is a process, when we begin to process exactly how painful the failure was and is that someone else did to me. To forgive a debt, you have to know how much has been taken and how much you are owed. A cutting word that lingers a decade later, like it was just said yesterday, and the person probably doesn't even remember it. An absent parent that makes establishing a secure bond with your children really hard. An assault that makes trusting anyone with your body feel impossible. God is freeing you to acknowledge that it hurts and that it hurts beyond all words ever to, to describe and that no one can pay it back. And you know what happens when we begin to feel actually how deeply hurt we are is that we are driven to God. Just like when we recognize before God that we owe, it drives us to God. So when we recognize how deeply hurt we have become, it drives us into God's presence, into his embrace to fall into his arms. The pain of abandonment by a father or mother drives us to God who is father to the fatherless and to the motherless. The pain of being lied to or not believed drives us to the God of all truth. 
the pain of being crushed under someone's power drives us to Jesus who is gentle and humble in heart. The pain of assault drives us to the God of all comfort who made us in his image and gives himself to us as husband. The pain of seeing your child hurt and not getting justice drives us to God who is the eternal judge who always judges justly. Because God is an emotional being who made you in his image. He always invites you into his heart. He never says to you when you are hurting, it wasn't so bad. Other people had it worse. Why do you feel that way? You shouldn't feel like that. He doesn't shame the emotions of humans, but invites us into his heart. When we say, Lord, will you be the one who won't hurt me? Who will protect me? He says yes. And he can do it. God's embrace is the only healing that there is. Without forgiveness, I am enslaved to wrath. But with forgiveness, I can begin to feel sorrow for the one who hurt me and to experience release from their wrath as well. It is the truth of our deep pain, which is usually unacknowledged by the people who hurt us, that joins together with the deep pain that we have caused, that doesn't lead us to despair, but leads us to Jesus, like both sides of that zipper. We can't get back what was taken, and we can't pay for what we owe. It's all lost, but not in him. With Jesus, when all is lost, then all is truly found. Only God can pay for something that there is no payment for. Only God can heal something that is beyond healing. Only God can make something alive that used to be dead. When you forgive someone, when you release someone from the debt of your wrath, you're paying with money from your daddy's wallet. And he keeps a lot of money in his wallet. Because look, forgiveness, and this is why I feel kind of crazy talking about this, because if God isn't real, then this is really, is really meaningless and maybe harmful. This is all impossible without God, and forgiveness is the number one thing that we try to do on our own. But nothing is more alien to our abilities than to release someone from our wrath or to release their wrath over us. I struggled with this when I was reading it because it's like, it sounds like Jesus is saying, if you don't forgive someone their debts, God isn't going to forgive you your debts. And I'm like, that can't be right. And I'm like reading these commentaries and people writing on the Bible. And then I literally read two verses later and Jesus says, hey, because by the way, if you forgive someone their sins, (laughs) then God will forgive you your sins. And if you don't forgive someone their sins, then God won't forgive you your sins either. And I was like, well, I didn't have to spend all that time reading those commentaries. I could have just read two more verses down. What does it mean that God won't forgive us if we don't forgive? It's not a threat. God's not tallying up your forgiveness against his own because we would always lose in a forgiving competition to God. Simply what he is saying is that if you are released from his wrath and you're still holding on to wrath, 
you're still in the tree when you could be in his embrace. This is work. It is a process of living in God's reality. I mean, I was talking with Susan about this the other day. How much work did it take for Jesus to forgive us? The infinite, eternal, unchangeable, all-powerful one. Look at the amount of work. I was talking to my wife last night, and she said it would require, with someone that hurt me, holding all the pain of that hurt in the moment with them and saying, I'm not going to make you pay for it every time we interact. And she's right. There's no way that you can possibly do that. But if we don't let go, we are never going to experience the embrace of our Father who does away with wrath and replaces it with rest. We will never experience the embrace that heals beyond words for hurts that are beyond words. He's the only one who can make good on what's owed. If God is real, forgiveness is his will. It's what he wants to do. He doesn't want to make you pay. He wants you in your arms, in his arms. And if you're in his arms, then his will becomes your will, so forgiveness gets to become your will too. I don't really know what to, to say about this, to say with this or tell you what to do. How do you tell someone to do something that's impossible? Um, so I just want to leave us with this little phrase from the book of Romans, chapter 13, where the Apostle Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That's life in God's reality to owe nothing to anyone and allow no one to owe anything to you. And if that sounds impossible, but really liberating, let's learn to let go together. Let's pray. Our Father, um, do what we can't do. Invite us into a work that we can't accomplish. To be free. To not live under wrath. To not force others to live under our wrath. To not deny or diminish the pain. Lord, we pray with our brother Augustine. Give what you command. And then command whatever you want. If you're going to be the one that gives it. Lord, teach our hearts that you are real, that you are for us, and that you love to forgive. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.